in Exodus chapter 15, and the message I'm entitling, Stand and See. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to go there. We're going to read a song together from Exodus chapter 15. For those of you who have missed the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, charting through Exodus. We charted through Genesis, and now we're in Exodus, and we've been going through all the parts of this grand story from the plagues from Moses and Pharaoh and Aaron meeting together and all the drama of Passover and the death of the firstborn. And now we're coming to after the crossing of the Sea of Reeds. Again, Sea of Reeds, not the Red Sea. It's the Sea of Reeds. And we've come to a song in Exodus 15, the celebration that comes after it. So we'll be in Exodus chapter 15, and we'll go ahead and read several verses from there so you can get a feel for the text, and then we'll share some thoughts and reflections. Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her. With timbrels and dancing, Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. We'll stop our reading right there. What we've just read is a portion of the text that is commonly known as the Song of the Sea or the Song of Deliverance. The Song of the Sea or the Song of Deliverance comes right after this great epic event, an event that I'm sure all of us have seen depicted in Hollywood in some sort of artistic expression. The Song of the Sea, 
the song of deliverance. One of the questions that emerges for scholars and others who study this is, why a song? And why here and why now? And when you read the story of the tragic events of the death of the Egyptians, we start to realize, or you come to the conclusion, that this song actually feels a little bit out of place. I mean, think about it for a second. You've just witnessed one of the most horrific events, perhaps, in your life. The death of hundreds, perhaps thousands of people, regardless of whether or not they're your enemies, regardless of whether or not you like them or you don't like them. You've seen a major tragedy, and by drowning. So this particular song, right afterwards, and celebration of what God has done, seems a little bit out of place. And it seems out of place for two reasons. Let me share with you a couple of those reasons. Number one, it just doesn't feel right. As I mentioned before, this death that has happened precedes this song of celebration. It just doesn't feel like. After a celebration, after you win a football game, that's the time to sing a song. After you win a sporting event, that's the time to sing a song. And whether or not you have lost the football game or won the football game, that is a good time to sing a song. And I heard once, I don't know if this is true, maybe some of you who went to an Ivy League school can confirm or deny, but I once heard that some Ivy League school decided that they were really, really good at academics, but not really so great at the sports. And so they had a song for every time that they lost a football game, and the song or the chant goes like this. One, two, three. One, two, three. One of these days you're going to work for me. <laughs> now, now, that is an appropriate time to sing a song. You've just lost a football game, or you just won a football game, and that seems to be like an appropriate time to sing. The other reason why this doesn't feel right is, as I mentioned before, and I put up a real image, because think about the visceral nature of what you've just witnessed. And again, regardless of whether or not they're your enemies or not, to witness any sort of death in this particular manner just leaves you with some sort of ugh feeling. Or it should, if you are a people who are compassionate, who are loving, who care deeply about humanity— this song, in my mind as I was thinking about it, feels just as appropriate as Nathan Lane singing La 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 with the Oinker Sisters in a synagogue. I mean, this just seems really out of place. Can you imagine coming out of the Egyptian death and then singing all of a sudden a beautiful sing? Sing a song. In fact, the positioning of this song is so uncomfortable that when DreamWorks actually produced their video, uh, their production, Prince of Egypt, this is the song. This is the song of Exodus chapter 15 that they put into the movie appropriately. But notice where they are. They are before the death. They are before the crossing of the Red Sea. When the scriptwriters, the producers, were getting to this text, they were a little bit uncertain of how to produce this, how to depict this on the screen. So this song, which they're singing, I will sing Ashira, which is Hebrew for I will sing, I will sing. And then into the popular song, he, uh, There Will Be Miracles, comes before the crossing of the Red Sea. So this song, which we just read, 
which is about a celebration of God who's great, a celebration of how God is loving and kind but also defeats his enemies, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like this should be the right place for that. And the second reason why it doesn't feel right is because we do not rejoice. The tradition for us is that we do not rejoice at the suffering of our enemies. We see this in a couple traditions. Some rabbinic and Jewish traditions have considered that one of the reasons why you uh, step on a glass and break a glass is for this very reason. You recognize that even in the midst of cheerfulness, even in the midst of joy, even in the midst of celebration, there is suffering in the world. There's a recognition of that. And for those of you who have ever participated in the Passover Seder with us or a Seder, there's a portion of the Seder where you take the cup of rejoicing, the cup of celebration, and you actually dip your spoon or your finger into it and you pull out some of the wine or some of the juice. Because any time that there's suffering, any time there's pain, we should honor that and recognize that. And our joy is reduced when there's suffering in the world. This tradition is carried on into the New Testament with several passages from Jesus as well as Paul. That you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This song that is here seems a little bit out of place. Number one, it just doesn't feel right. Consider what you've just witnessed, what you've just seen. And number two, we do not rejoice at the suffering of our enemies. These are two fundamental principles that cause this song to be a little bit, what is going on here? There's a clue that may happen uh, to enlighten us regarding what is this song doing here. And what I'm going to hopefully share with you is that this song is actually here for a very specific and important purpose. One that is starting to pull some threads all the way through the grand narrative of the story. We ended this reading with this verse, Exodus 15, verse 20. Then Miriam the prophetess, of course in our Uh, Bible, the portion that I read, it said prophet, but it is prophetess. It's a feminine form of the word. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. The Lord, he has crushed horse and rider into the sea. Can you feel it? And all the ladies get up and dance. Now, there's two particular pieces of information here that are interesting. Number one, She is a prophetess. This is the first time that she is mentioned with this particular title. But we're not quite sure yet what in the world she prophesied. What did she tell forth about? And then second is this title, Aaron's sister. Now, why is that important? Who else's sister is she? She's also Moses' sister. So you would think that the title for Miriam, not only a prophetess, what did she prophesy, but also you would think that her kinship, her family, would be attributed to perhaps the most prominent character in the story, Moses, but not, it's not Moses, it's Aaron's sister. Prophetess and Aaron's sister. So what's going on here? These are two little markers that are going to take you back and Some Jewish traditions have commented that this particular verse in Exodus 15 is actually hearkening back to something that happened at the very, very beginning of the story with Miriam. And here's where the DreamWorks Prince of Egypt video gets it right. Check out this clip.
Now, everything Miriam just said in that clip is actually not recorded in your text. This is coming from this particular passage in Exodus 15. What did Miriam do? Remember what her job was. When Moses was placed into the basket, if you remember the teva, that saving vessel, into the river of reeds, Miriam goes after to watch and to see what is going to happen. And the DreamWorks production picks up on this idea that when she sees what happens, she makes, at that particular point, a prophecy. You're safe now. And remember us as well. So that video, that movie, is picking up on that particular theme. It also picked up on a split second of another theme that is important to this particular story. Who's the evil person in this story, in the Exodus story. It's Pharaoh. The daughter of the evil person is now come to the riverbank to see this basket floating along. And I loved, I took this screenshot. This is Miriam's face. Have you ever considered what it would have been like for Miriam in that specific moment The person who has now just ordered the slaughter of your entire nation's children. The daughter of that person is the one who happens to come upon the basket. And in that particular moment, for a split second in the movie, they get this thing right. Miriam has no idea whether or not this story is going to end really, really good. Or whether or not this story is going to end really, really bad. I mean, feel the tension there. And I love that shot right there. And there was a shot afterwards where he, she, the Pharaoh's daughter picks him up and that sigh of relief. But for a moment, at the very beginning of this story, there's that sense of, I'm not quite sure how this story is going to end. Pharaoh's daughter. This story actually could have ended in chapter 2. And we wouldn't have had any of the rest of Exodus. Consider that. And Miriam is there to watch it all, to stand by it all. And specifically, this is what Exodus 2.4 says. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron... And at that particular point, the sister of Aaron, which is what some commentators suggest why she's mentioned as the sister of Aaron, stands at a distance to see what would happen. Have you ever felt that you've been in that place where you have no idea what's going to happen and you're just standing there waiting to see this could turn out really good, this could turn out really bad. And the only things there afterwards That Miriam says, then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? A Hebrew daughter approaches an Egyptian for the salvation of Moses and ultimately domino effect consecutively the salvation of the nation. That's the beginning of the story. That is the prime piece of real estate that Miriam gets in the text. Now, fast forward about 13 chapters to chapter 15. We've gone through the plagues. We've gone through Moses. And this 
is coming upon you. You're standing there facing the entire sea in front of you. And I love what this text does. The Israelites facing the sea turn around and they have these words to say, which all of us could potentially resonate with. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Complaining to Moses. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Remember when we said, leave us alone? Forgive the stuff that we said we were happy to go. But remember when we said, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Just like Miriam, standing on the banks of the river of reeds. So now the Israelites are also standing on the bank of the sea of reeds, wondering what is going to happen. Moses' reply, he answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Stand firm, that phrase, does that sound familiar to you? Stand firm and you will see. Stand firm and you will see. Wait a second. What Miriam did for Moses, Moses is now asking the Israelites to now do for themselves. And the two stories are now intimately brought together. Miriam stood at a distance to see what would happen. And Moses gives the exact same command Now to the Israelites, stand and see what will happen. Take a look at all the comparisons. Miriam's story starts in a river of reeds. The Israelites are standing on the shore of the Sea of Reeds. There is an Egyptian daughter that begins to approach the basket. And here, 13 chapters later, there's an Egyptian army that is now approaching a Hebrew nation. In the previous story in chapter 2, there's a Hebrew daughter standing. And here, now there's a Hebrew nation standing. And in the Miriam story in chapter 2, Miriam approaches an Egyptian, Pharaoh's daughter, for the salvation. And here, Moses is the one to approach. Do you see the connections that this story is drawing? Once a river, now a seed. Once an Egyptian daughter, now an Egyptian pharaoh and an army. Once there was a Hebrew daughter, now there's a nation of people. And once there was a daughter that approached an Egyptian, and now it is Moses who is approaching. And the key point in all of these and both of these is that there's this one big question mark on both ends of the story. When Miriam stands on the bank of that river, she does not know. Remember that look in her eyes, that that picture. She has no, no clue what is going to happen. All she knows is that there was tragedy. There was this horrible, uh, just almost, there are no words to describe the kind of decree that Pharaoh gave down to destroy all of the Hebrew children. That's what she knows. And now she's standing to see what is going to happen. There's this big unknown. How is this going to turn out? This could turn out really good. This could turn out really bad. The Israelites, all they know is enslavement and oppression and harsh labor. And sure, they now have liberation, but they're on now the bank 
of the sea of reeds, and they don't know what is going to happen. Picture yourself there. I mean, we have the privilege, we have the opportunity. We're on this side of history where we say, oh, we know what, what is going to happen. We've seen the movie, right? We know what Charlton Heston does. It ends well. Put yourself there. You're standing there, the sea, which is also another picture from Genesis of the abyss, the underworld. Stuck between a sea and a hard place, essentially. The Egyptian army behind you. One big question mark. What? How is this going to end? Is this going to end really well? Or is this going to end really poorly? And if you read chapter 14 close enough, they think it's going to end actually very poorly. And the two that, and the phrase that ties these two stories together, stand and see. Stand and see. Once this happens, then we understand, after the events have occurred, after the deliverance has happened, now we get to the songs. The first is for the Israelite nation that stood and watched whatever was unfolding. And the second song is for Miriam, the timbrels in hand, for when she, way back in chapter 2, stood and saw. That's why we have two songs. Now, this poses a, an additional question for us. In the midst of all of those and all of the pieces of the puzzle that are in there, and you can dig into the song and see beautiful resonances to Genesis. You can see how horse and rider have been thrown into the sea when traditional armies would only throw over rider. So there's this big piece of the picture that it's God's hand and God's involvement that is doing this. But it also poses this other question. What is faith? What is the faith of Miriam and what is the faith of the Israelites that is ultimately going to carry them into the rest of the narrative and rest of the story? And the word faith for us has many connotations. This idea of a leap of faith, right? The idea that you're believing that there's something coming. And so you leap into it, not exactly knowing how it's all going to work out, but you leap in faith towards that thing that you can see, towards that thing that you can hope for. There's also the idea that faith is trust, that you trust yourself to somebody, and the idea, of course, that there's a statement of faith, particular pieces, checkboxes that you say, I affirm this, I affirm this, I affirm this. Now, all of those things are true, and all of those things are wonderful definitions of faith, but this story of Miriam, this story of the Israelites, this story where they say, stand and see, just stand and see, poses a fourth definition of faith, which is this. Faith is not necessarily the picture or the image of what is into the future that you need to move towards. Faith in this story, in this definition, is knowing the destruction and the hurt and the pain and the injustice of the past, but then just simply standing and seeing How is this story going to end? Without having any idea where that story is going. Faith in this idea is not to have all of your plans laid out and to trust that God is going to meet every single piece of the puzzle. Miriam has no idea how this story is going to end. The Israelites have no clue what's going to come on the other side 
of the Egyptian army and the sea. Faith in this story, in this song, is standing and seeing and having no clue, no idea what's on the other side. My friends, in the times that we've had to share and talk, and I know many of you have come from hurt, abuse, pain, injustice, horrendous events in your life, tragedy, loss, all of those things. And of course, and wonderfully so, because we care deeply about these issues, that can cause for us what in our language is known as faith crises, the idea that I'm not quite sure what I trust, what I know anymore. And all of those things are legitimate because we're human beings and we want answers and we cry out to God as are found in other passages. There are moments and times, however, according to this Exodus passage, when your faith, the requirement of faith in this particular moment is just simply, I'll just stand and see what happens. I have no clue. This could turn out really bad. This could turn out really good. Let me just watch. Let me just stand and see. And once you stand and see, you begin to turn your eyes, according to this song, upward. It's the Lord who cast them into the sea. It is by his mighty hand. It is by his goodness, his love, his faith. And both times, in both the Miriam story as well as the Israelite story, there's a temptation not to look up but to look back. That horrible stuff that happened back there, that's definitely going to challenge me and my faith. And the song of Exodus 15 challenges us, stand and see, And once you watch, then your eyes will be taken away from what is behind you. Exodus 14. We should have been left in Egypt to looking up and to see God's hand moving forward. We didn't have time to dissect the song completely. But if you read carefully, the song starts at the sea, but it ends at a holy place. It starts with the conflict. Horse and rider you have thrown into the sea. And then at the very end of the song, at the very end, you will bring them in, plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place the Lord made for your dwelling, the sanctuary. The sanctuary. The place of holiness. The place of worship. To put it maybe in a summary, the song of Exodus 15 is not the end of a victory. That's why that song is there at the very end of the Sea of Reeds. It's not like, hey, God did it. Woohoo! All done. The song, if you take a look at it, is a push forward into what is to come. And if the lessons that they learned at the sea, to stand and see what God is going to do, taken from the prophetess Miriam, who stood at the banks of the Nile River to see what God was going to do with this little baby, if they could do that, that is what will formulate and fashion them into the nation that God wants them to be. And so, my friends, for all of us, my prayer is simply this, that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of all of those things that we look back on, This passage invites us and encourages us to simply stand and see what God is going to do. 
And you and I have no idea what it's going to look like, what the plan is going to be laid out. We have no clue what the future is going to hold. That is the definition of faith. Having no idea, but simply standing and seeing. Because at the very end of your standing and seeing, at the very end of us stopping for a moment and just watching what God is going to do into this future, we're going to be able to sing a song at the end. A song of how God did bring us through. Oh, I remember how God did this. I, I see how God's hand guided us. I see how all of that worked into the future. So at the very end, there's a song to be sung. Let me close in a word of prayer, and I'll ask Dave to just sing uh, this chorus over uh, us a couple times. And I'm actually going to um, invite you for just a brief moment. For those of us in this room who may just need a little bit of that faith of Miriam and that faith of the Israelites and the commission of Moses to simply just stand and see. While Dave sings, I'm going to invite you to actually stand. And just in your own body and in your own person, if you feel so led, to just stand. Here I stand. God waiting to see what it is that you're going to do. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for Miriam. I thank you for the Israelites. Lord, in the midst of all the history and all of that and the past that we see behind us, help us to look forward, even into the unknown, even into the things that we have no clue about. And give us the strength and the courage to simply stand and see what it is that you are going to do. In your name. Amen. Amen. May we as a community and may you as followers of this glorious God have the faith in the midst of life's uncertainties to have the faith of Miriam and the Israelites to simply stand and see what God is going to do, that we would not be captivated and distracted by looking back, but that we would look up and that we would look forward into the unknown, but knowing that God is there. Amen.